I usually conceptualize diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work from the perspective of three levels of isms so that it is easier to separate what we can do as individuals from what we can do as a society, what we can do as an organization or at the more systemic and structural level. And then I separate those two from that middle level, that layer of interaction where you're interacting with members of other groups, you have, uh, you know, committees, you have uh, religious affiliations, you have all of these dynamics with respect to your interactions with other people, not just what you're thinking, but how you're coming across when you actually open your mouth to speak. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. Today, we are going to have a great conversation about change, transformation, even in the context of diversity, equity, and inclusion with someone who has been in this space fighting for to eliminate these diseases of sexism, racism, discrimination uh, in the workplace. And she's been in leadership. She's been in transformation, change management for a long time. And I am so excited about this conversation. So welcome to the show, Ayana. How are you doing? Hello there, Enrique. It's such a pleasure to be here. I am doing very well. Thank you for asking. Well, thank you so much for being here with me. I am really excited about this conversation because these demons of, uh, you know, sexism, racism, discrimination, wow, they refuse to die. And and, and you yeah. wonder, yeah. what else can we do to yeah. do the right thing? What else can we do to finally say our workplaces don't have any of these diseases anymore? So what what's why has it been so difficult for us to finally achieve that level of transformation that society has been demanding and that is just the right thing to do for the human, not just for business, but for the humans who are at work. Well, you know, Enrique, I usually conceptualize diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work from the perspective of three levels of isms so that it is easier to separate what we can do as individuals from what we can do as a society, what we can do as an organization or at the more systemic and structural level. And then I separate those two from that middle level, that layer of interaction where you're interacting with members of other groups, you have, uh, you know, committees, you have uh, religious affiliations, you have all of these dynamics with respect to your interactions with other people, not just what you're thinking, but how you're coming across when you actually open your mouth to speak. And so that layer that we call the interactional level is very important. But what I find, Enrique, is that when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice lately, we focus more so on that individual level of the isms. We talk about individual level biases, implicit and unconscious biases, microaggressions, things that are controllable by the individual. But we don't as often, unless we're talking about policy and uh, politics and things like that, have a conversation about systemic and structural level changes that can be made not only to political policy, but to organizational policy and the systems embedded within the organizations that prevent the advancement and hiring of racial and ethnic minoritized individuals. 
And when I talk about systemic level transformations, let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. So if you look at, for example, a performance appraisal system, and there are no behavioral justifications embedded in that system, such that the person who's giving the rating has to actually justify why they gave that rating by writing something out that requires more cognitive deliberation and reflection than that reflexive rating process where you go one, two, three, four, five, you know, good, outstanding, poor. We are preventing ourselves from looking more deeply at people's performance. We're usually relying on those cognitive biases that we're familiar with, such as the most recent thing that we had when we encountered that individual, as opposed to a more holistic justification of why we gave that performance rating. And there's so many other things that you can do. That's just one example with yeah. respect to mitigating bias at the organizational level by changing the performance appraisal. There are also some discussions of late with respect to second chance hiring. And we know that there are programs in place for people who have uh, been criminalized or have been encountered with the criminal justice system. And um, here lately, a lot of organizations are starting to adopt practices that block the box. They don't ask questions with respect to people's background with criminality. But when it comes to a more holistic justification for hiring people at a second chance level who are not violent offenders, they didn't go out and murder or rape someone, they may have had some, uh, you know, robbery in the past or, uh, you know, public drunkenness or marijuana possession or something like that on their records. And we're still not at the structural level of policy that impacts all of the corporations operating in this country demonstrating our commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice by eradicating those systems that prevent the hiring of these individuals. And I say that because there are so many members of minoritized groups, Black, Latinx men, who are incarcerated. There is a predominance. Yeah with respect to our representation in society of these individuals in the criminal justice system right now in jail, in prison, having to go to court to uh, you know, get offenses off of their records and so forth. And many of these offenses are not restrictable with respect to record yeah. restrictions that would get them wiped, wiped clean so that they can enter, enter into the environment. Furthermore, if it's just totally impossible to have a second chance hiring initiative, would it be possible to provide entrepreneurial training such that yeah. a vendor or supplier could come on board with respect to your supplier diversity initiatives and still operate as an entrepreneur in the environment and be economically and socially to improve the trajectory of that person after they've encountered the criminal justice system? And so those are some examples of what we're yeah. talking about when we talk about systemic level changes. And then I would say at the interactional level, Enrique, that there are some things that you can do with respect to immersion activities, simulations, vignettes and scenarios, interacting with videos, perhaps even artificial intelligence that allows you to hear the emotion, the language you're using, 
that uh, either speaks to the person in a respectful and dignified way and treats them with empathy and compassion or does not. And what are we doing to tackle that type of interaction so that we know how not to offend, how not to microaggress and so forth when our actions actually speak louder than our thoughts and our words, uh, you know, so to speak. So I think the individual level biases are important because of course people are key players, they're decision makers, they are affecting the recruiting and hiring decisions. And once we eradicate those, perhaps at a larger level, it'll trickle out into being a a more magnificent impact on the environment. But right now, I think we're ignoring largely a key piece of that puzzle as as a industry-wide standard, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice could really benefit from the incorporation of those aspects in addition to empathy, belonging, dignity, and so forth. Let me let me ask you something, Ayana. Um, I mean, evidently, I I I I am aligned with the uh, with the urgency to make significant changes at the systemic, at the organizational level, and at the individual level in order to eradicate these uh, diseases of uh, that are present in humanity. But you know, I. You, you go to reality and you say, I want to have a serious systemic conversation about, you know, eliminating these biases. And then you see so much political polarization that it makes it almost impossible now to have a conversation about just talking about race inclusion in the workplace, because some people may feel offended as, you know, I'm white, but I have never been racist against anybody. And I'm like, well, it's not, it's not you, it's the system, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like that. So we're not talking about you as the individual, but as the system. So my question to you is, and I have asked this question several times in other podcasts in the past, is how do we decouple this from political polarization, if that's even possible? How we decouple this from mm-hmm. individuals who may feel offended just by having the very conversation and we start having the conversation with you know, objective uh, perspective on, on what the potential results could be? Right. And I appreciate where you're coming from, Enrique, because it is exhausting to always get a closed door, a no, every time you bring up the subject of policy, systemic, structural level changes, people shut the door, they don't want to talk about it, they say, well, so and so is not that way. And as you say, you know, I'm not racist, so this doesn't impact my organization. It's not something we need to focus on right now. We're going to continue to have inclusive uh, programming or, you know, whatever it is. I think that this work that we're, this space that we're in is just, it's literally exhausting. If we don't continue to fill our own cups and inspire ourselves with surrounding ourselves with other people who are like-minded with respect to grassroots and grass top level initiatives that would mobilize not just us and our, our individual approach to maybe the leaders of the organization, but as a collective conspiring with one another to effect that type of change at that level, writing letters to senators, hosting uh, podcasts like this and roundtable events like my Tapestry Consulting's roundtable that is occurring on an annual basis right now. Uh, All of those are efforts in the right direction. But until we get before members of the senior leadership team, and I am lucky enough to be on the senior leadership team at one organization, Compass Group, National Accounts, uh, and Microsoft Account in particular, 
until we have a space where we are in a capacity to make those types of changes, it is very difficult. It is very exhausting. And I would say to leaders in the DEI space who are having that type of break in, you know, the reality of that we're encountering is to stay inspired, stay yeah. encouraged. You know, when you look at the civil rights movement, when you look at the abolition of the, the institution of slavery in this country, when you look at the Holocaust of, of, you know, that killed so many Jews, you know, you think about the level of change that they had to undergo and how they mobilized and collectively conspired to make an effort towards some type of difference in their yeah. environment. And the Montgomery bus boycott is one testament to little things that we can do. The sit-ins that John Lewis and members of the SNCC participated in, all of those were activities that were steps in the right direction. Yeah. And until we are resounding with that type of collective process on an ongoing basis and just continuing to not shut up about it, yeah. you know, I think we won't be heard. So we have to continue to speak loudly, speak frequently, and speak uh, thoroughly and clearly about what our message is and how we want that change to come about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, the hope is that we definitely stay inspired in the face of the challenges and, you know, the opposition to these conversations, because, you know, sadly, there are people who continue to oppose conversations about, it, about real diversity and inclusion and equity and belonging, not only in the workplace, but in society uh, in general. So, Ayana, thank you so much for sharing these insights with me and the community. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that those that we're looking for ideas, you're, you know, share some light with them and those who are failing uh, in, in their energy because they find obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, they continue to feel inspired to do, uh, to continue the journey and to continue the fight. So thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Yes, absolutely, Enrique. Thank you so much for this invitation. It has been an absolute honor and joy. I'm delighted to have, have joined you today. And I hope that I gave a message that was uh, empowering for others. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking HR Podcast. I will see you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.